Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Uh, yeah, I can't believe that Thanksgiving is coming up so quickly. When I, when I think of the holiday season, one of the things that uh, is intimately connected with that uh, are family gatherings. You get the extended relatives coming together and having meals together. Sometimes it's people that you haven't seen uh, for uh, throughout the year, and, and yet we can have some time to come together. It's also a time where then you get to see a lot about your family dynamics. Uh, you, you go back to your parents' house that maybe you haven't been for, for a long time, and you're a grown adult, and yet you enter back into childhood emotionally with them. And they're still like, uh, you know, you need to go to bed at this certain time. You know, it's, it's 8 o'clock or something. You're like, Mom, I'm 40 or something. And, uh, and sometimes we can have these conversations where it just... It, uh, we see a lot about what the dynamics of our family are like, and we can see some about how there's even sometimes topics that are off limits. Um, sometimes uh, things that seem minor, but like nobody ever talks about what color the living room was painted or something, and there's a story behind that. Uh, and sometimes it's, we don't talk about uh, this brother or something like that, or this uncle, because there's a whole story there. And um, in a lot of our communities, family, church, work, there's certain things that uh, are not okay to talk about because they're not resolved. And there's some sort of shame that's associated with it. There's some sort of discomfort that we don't want to bring up and talk about this because it reflects something that we don't feel comfortable with. And the more things that are on this taboo list of things we can't talk about uh, ultimately, the more distant, uh, the less impactful those relationships are. And when it comes to Christian community, how many things are on that list for us as a church, on, on that list for us with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ? The, the more things that are on that list, the further we are from each other. And so we, we need to ask the question, is this what Christian community should look like? Should there be things that are barriers between us that we can't talk about, unresolved things that need to be brushed aside and looked over for the sake of peace, uh, or is that, is that what, what community is supposed to look like? You know, we're, we're in this series going through, through uh, aspect, uh, parts of John, and we started this this message uh, last week where we started talking about uh, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. This is the, the last prayer that we see him make with his disciples before his crucifixion, crucifixion comes. So it's a long prayer, and Ethan talked about the first part of it last week where he talks about the things that Jesus praying for himself. Today we're going to talk about the middle section where now he's praying for his disciples, uh, next week, we'll, we'll wrap up the, the last part of that prayer. But Jesus is praying for his disciples, knowing that he's about to leave them. And it, it would be tempting to think that this prayer then is going to be kind of a gloomy prayer. Jesus knows his death is coming up. And so you would think that this would be something of kind of melancholy, kind of somber. But instead, Jesus' prayer is one of victory. It's one where he's anticipating what's down the road and he's anticipating the hope that is going to be realized. 
Just prior to this prayer, Jesus uh, says in John 16.33, a verse that, that you might have known, he says, he tells his disciples, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And then he goes into this prayer. And so this is a prayer of victory, a prayer of hope that he, gives, he prays over his disciples and something that, that we look forward to. In this prayer, he addresses his concern for his disciples as he leaves them. He, he, he's displayed the gospel for them throughout his life, and he asks for them to con- continue to wrestle with the relevance of the gospel to, the rest of the, to every aspect of their life. And so we're going to start in, in John 17. And this passage, we're going to see how this displays the, the relevance of the gospel to how we view God, what the gospel provides for us, and then also how the gospel shapes uh, our, our relationships with our community. So turn with me to, to John 17, and we'll be in verse 6. And, and as I read this, I, what, what I want you to notice is how uh, Jesus, as he's praying to God on behalf of his disciples, notice how he describes his relationship with the Father. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, give, now uh, they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. There's, there's a couple points in here where Jesus says, uh, he says, uh, he identifies closely with the Father. He says that, um, that he describes God as being a, re- he describes himself as being a reflection of God. He says, I have revealed you. Then, then he says, everything that the Father has given the Son, he has now communicated to his disciples. There's something that he's saying where, where if you look at the Son, you're seeing a reflection of who the Father is. Like if you're trying to say, what would it be like to have a conversation with God? How would God act in a certain situation? What would it be like to live life with him? Jesus is saying, look at him. He's saying, look at the Son. The Son is showing you what the Father is like. That there's a, there's a close connection between the two, that the way one acts is the same way that the other one would act, that they share the same nature. And so when we see in verses uh, earlier in John, like in John 3.16, when we see verses about the, the Son came not to condemn, but to bring forgiveness, to bring reconciliation, these are things that show us what the heart of the Father is like. That, that these are not two distinct gods, but when Jesus is saying, I have revealed the Father, he's saying, look at who I am, and that is showing you what God is like. That if you feel like God is this cold, distant, removed God, look at what Jesus is like, and is, does Jesus act like that? Jesus is showing that God is is a God who is close to us, a God who cares for us, a God who brings reconciliation, who has the heart for those who are on the margins and cares for them and desires to see forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption of all things. 
that this is who God is. Our idea of the Father is distorted, and it affects how we can trust Him. That we see God and we think, this, this is who God is, and how inaccurate is that picture that we have of God? And this affects how we relate to him. This affects how we understand ourselves. It affects how we relate to each other. Dallas Willard says, there is no avoiding the fact that we live at the mercy of our ideas. This is never more true than with our ideas about God. It says, this is never more true than our ideas about God. That if I look at God and I see him as cold, if I see him as an evaluator of me, my response ends up being I need to brush aside my unresolved things and I need to start performing for this God. That what matters is my achievement for him. What matters is can I impress him and get him to like me and can I satisfy him? This isn't, this isn't who God is. We have to start sorting these things out. It's, it's a lifelong process. And so this, sum, this explains why the cross is so central to us in our Christian life. That if nothing else, if, if I looked at every aspect of my life and said, every good part of my life is either because of just sheer luck or my personal grit, if God provided nothing for me, I still need to look at the cross and figure out how does that make sense. If God is cold and distant and removed from me, I still have to look at the cross and say, the one thing that determines my eternal destiny, the thing that dwarfs any other blessing that I have in this life, I still have to look at that and say, how does that make sense that God is cold and distant? If I look at God and I say these things, then I still have to say, how could a, a judgmental, harsh God still send his son to die for sinners who don't deserve it? We still have to ask that question, and that's something that we need to wrestle with as, as we look at God and we say, who is God and what is actually true about how I view God? I need to keep coming back to the cross and say, how does the cross influence how I view him? God shows his desire for relationship. He shows his desire for redemption through Jesus. And so when Jesus comes and when he prays and when he models his life, he says, I'm revealing the Father. And he's pointing to this. And he's pointing to God's heart. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing the Father and you are seeing what he is like. The gospel reveals God's character it also reveals his ongoing blessing and provision for us. As we continue, we see what the gospel provides for us. I'm going to go down to verse 15. He says, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus is making this one of the last things he's saying to his disciples, and you can see his concern for the disciples. He is leaving them. He's not going to be with them physically anymore, and so his concern is, who is going to protect them if I'm not with them? 
His concern is for protection from the evil one. So it's not primarily a physical protection, but he's saying who is going to provide spiritual protection over them? He's concerned about the disciples' ongoing faithfulness. Will they continue in their faith after this? Maybe if, uh, if you have an adult child who has moved out of the house, maybe you have wrestled with this to some, to some degree of what is my child going to be like now that they're no longer in the house? Well, what is their faith going to look like after this point? And so there's, there's a concern of who is going to look over the disciples. And so Jesus is saying, God, watch over them, protect them, and care for them. The disciples are, are no longer a part of the world. I think, I think that this part is, is interesting because it's telling us about uh, where does the disciples' allegiance and identity lie? He says it, the, the disciples used to be a part of the world. They used to consider themselves, uh, their, their identity, their values, and things were shaped by the world that they were in. And Jesus now says it's no longer there, but now their identity lies with God. So where they get their, had their needs met prior is now different to today. Now they bring their needs, their desire for protection, their needs for security. Now those things get brought to God instead of going back to their old ways. Jesus is saying, I hope that you as disciples bring your needs for protection to God instead of the ways that you're used to. Paul speaks of this in, in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And then he talks about the ongoing provision that the gospel provides. He says, you will also, he will also keep you firm to the end. He's talking about he will give you a protection so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, provide for these disciples. He's asking God, protect them, provide their security, keep them safe so that their needs are met, their spiritual needs are met. He's saying, I hope to the disciples, I hope you don't forget who God is. You've had this time with me where I've revealed the Father to you. You've seen his nature. You've seen how he's redemptive. You've seen how he's gracious. Don't forget that. You can go to him and you can find grace. You can go to him and you can find redemption and he will provide that for you. Not just one time on the cross, but for the rest of your life. But he says, go to him. I, I think it's interesting, though, that Jesus also directs this as, as a request to the Father. Like, there's, there's value as us talking to Christians of saying, we need to persevere in our faith. But notice Jesus is not just looking at the disciples and say, I'm leaving you. Make sure that you continue in your faith. He's saying this to the Father, and he's saying, protect them so that they continue. He's saying that, that, that God is proactive in this. That you're not on your own as a Christian to just do your own thing and try to gut out perseverance, but that God is with you and God has resources to provide for you to help sustain you. And we find that in the gospel. 
as we say that the cross is central to us as Christians, what we also need to say is, how does the gospel provide for me and in my circumstances? You know, many times for, for myself, what I find helpful is if I, if in a time of struggle, a time of temptation, a time where I, I desire to act out, uh, if I can identify the need uh, the stimulus that's behind that, that temptation. You know, so often when I, when I desire to escape, when I've had a terrible day and I just want something to numb me, uh, I look at that and I say, I feel terrible about myself right now. And I just, I just don't want to feel like that. And there's times where, where I think I am convinced that my performance is a reflection of my value. There's times where I sin and I carry shame with me after the sin, and so what I desire to do is sin again, so that way I don't feel bad about what I just did. And in each of these things, I need to think, what does the gospel say about these things? The gospel says that I'm forgiven. That God's forgiveness was enough, and so I don't need to carry the shame that I carry. The gospel says that I have been loved before I even contributed anything positive. In the midst of my sin, I've been loved. And so my, perform- my value is not based off of how well I achieve. In the times of my loneliness, in the times where I don't feel good about myself, God says, I am with you and I will never leave you. There's there's healing, there's provision to be found in the gospel. And so as tempting as it is to, 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 to find something else, to go back to our old ways, the patterns that we're used to, the patterns that we see uh, in this world, God says, come back and find protection in him. Take those needs and bring them to him and let the gospel meet those needs. Because it'll be met more fully. It'll be, it'll be more satisfying. And one of the nice things about when you get a need met by, by the cross instead of by the patterns that we're used to is there's not the carnage afterwards. Jesus says, God will provide protection for you. Go and bring those needs and find security in him rather than the ways that you're used to because he has revealed God's character to him and so you can look at Jesus and know how he would respond. What this requires is that we live in constant awareness of our need for the gospel. This means we have to look at each other and say, I am not a finished product. That I have needs, I am not self-sufficient, I cannot meet every, every issue that I have, but I need help from God. I need help from each other. And so I need to constantly be aware that I need the gospel today just as much as I needed it yesterday. I must live in awareness that the gospel is continuously relevant to me. Jesus, when he prays for this, 
he has a purpose in mind for all of this. When he prays about uh, revealing the nature of God, when he prays about God's protection over the disciples, he also says there, there's a reason why he, he has this in mind. And so he speaks about what the gospel enables. And we see in, when we go to verse 11, uh, we see that this enables a different kind of community. In verse 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The point, the point of this, the purpose that we should find in this as we become aware of our constant need for the gospel is that there should be unity that's found among us. This should shape the way that we relate to each other. That we should have different interests in mind than we would have apart from the gospel. Jesus is, is leaving them. He's not going to be with them physically. And he says, my concern when I leave you is that God protects you because I want you to continue to experience unity. He's saying to this to the 12 disciples, and he says, you need to stay as one through this. You need to persevere in faith, but you need to persevere in faith together. You're not meant to do this alone by yourself, but you need support from each other, and you need the support from each other for your faith, but also for the purpose that God has for you. It says, partaking in God's provision should lead us to unity that we should, we should be concerned about one another. We should look to each other and not for our own interests, but to care for one another. That we should love one another as, as the Father loves the Son. I think that this means that uh, we can disagree on things. I think this means we can there are peripheral things that we can disagree on. I think there's even some meaningful things that we disagree on. But what we can't disagree on and have unity is the fact that we still need the gospel. The fact that each one of us has an ongoing need for the gospel. Because as soon as we forget that, we lose humility and we start thinking, I am now looking for my own interests rather than the interests of another. that I can pursue what I want, I can pursue my interests and my own agenda. It doesn't matter if what kind of discord comes from it and how much it disrupts the community, but I can pursue my own interests. And we lose sight of the gospel and we lose sight of our need for it. D.L. Moody says, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. And he says, unity, unity is important, but unity doesn't come from us just saying, we're all going to agree on everything. It comes from a heart of humility, a heart that says, I still need the cross as much today as I did before. And because I hold fast to that, I can love one, one another in our community with humility. I think uh, sometimes when we think about this, we might think, well, you know, okay, I, I, need, I need the gospel. 
I, I need God's provision, I need his protection. But I'm looking at these other people, and man, they, they're acting like they got it all together and they're just fine. And that, that can be a setup for us to, to uh, step apart from each other in disunity. How aware are we of our own need for the gospel? You know, I think, I think we see a portion of it. And yet there's other people that are looking at us, loving us and saying, he knows he needs the gospel this much, but there's so much more that he's not seeing. And so if we're tempted to say, I'm looking at these other people and they just, there's no humility, there's no acknowledgement that they need the gospel, let's, let's still be gracious on them because other people might be looking at us the same way. That we're, we're not the best judges of how much we need the gospel. We need other people to speak into that. So our need of the gospel, it should bind us together. You know, Jesus, when he prays this prayer, he, he's praying for his disciples at this point. One of the, the last time we see him praying for his disciples before the crucifixion. You hear his heart and his concern for his disciples that he's not going to be with them in his earthly ministry anymore. And he says, look, I, the gospel has shown you, I have shown you who the Father is like. You've known the Father because you've known the Son. You've seen his heart for redemption. You've seen his heart for care. You've seen how the gospel provides your needs. It provides it not just for that relationship with God, but the ongoing sustaining and persevering of that relationship. And the result of this, the result of this is so that we can be with each other. The result of this should be that we can have honest relationships with each other. That there doesn't need to be this long list of things we can't talk about and things that, that, are, that are off limits, but we can live with each other and love one another in grace and humility.